Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Good morning and welcome to another edition of AWSP TV. My name is Scott Friedman, Associate Director here with AWSP, and we are very excited to have with us today for her second appearance, Dr. Michaela Miller, Deputy Superintendent of OSPI. Um, Dr. Miller is here today to uh, help us understand and provide some clarity to, to the principles that are out and about in the field with uh, House Bill 1599 in relationship to the policy changes that affect the graduation of students not only now but in the future as we move forward in our in our educational system. Along with providing some clarity today, um, uh, we will also be working on identifying the steps that principals can be doing right now as they begin to implement House Bill 1599, and along with principals, school districts as well. And then, as we wrap up this morning in this AWSP TV newscast, we also want to begin having some clarity and, and an idea about what could districts and what could schools and what could school principals and the counseling staffs expect in the future from House Bill 1599. Well, with that as the backdrop for today, and Dr. Michaela Miller, again, thank you so much for yeah. being with us today. Um, I thought we'd just kind of go ahead and kick things off with um, kind of the, the background and, mm -hmm. and the notion that led to uh, the, the policy changes and the passing of, of House Bill 1599. Great. Thanks for having me, and um, I'm excited to be back at AWSP-TV. Um, we're going to start, kick off today with a little bit of background for everyone that's been through kind of the roller coaster of graduation requirements over the last several years. Um, really this work started, Scott, in uh, a couple of years ago with uh, 2224, House Bill 2224, which um, passed and kind of set an incremental step in terms of changing graduation requirements so that it wasn't based on two single test scores, but rather opened up the idea of pathways for students um, as many principals know already, there were grad alternatives, uh, which were in place and have been in place for a long time. Um, in looking around the country, we were one of just a handful of states that were still using the Smarter Balance Assessment as a graduation requirement. Um, and so looking at what our students needed, what our state needed in terms of graduation. We still, we have one of the most rigorous diplomas in the country, um, hands down. Uh, and so as we look to what are some of the ways we can put in place articulating the ideas around the high school and beyond plan, which is a centerpiece of our graduation requirements, and our course requirements or our credits, and then what path are students going to be taking as they move on into their next step? Whether it's college or career, we want to make sure students are prepared for that next step. And so backwards mapping that idea of making pathways that are equitable across, that they have the same level of rigor across different pathways. Um, we spent a lot of time over the last couple of years analyzing the current grad alternatives and looking at ways that we could expand even further to include things like ASVAB. We recognize that students that are moving into their next step with the military um, did not necessarily have that as an articulated pathway. Students that are moving into a career that requires an industry-recognized credential or some pathway into a community college or a technical school didn't have necessarily a pathway. So as we took stock of the requirements around the 24 credits, uh, the high school and beyond plan, we added this career pathway. So identifying what that looks like, starting back even in middle school as students are preparing their high school and beyond plans to the next step. So we started kind of tweaking this back in 2017 with House Bill 2224, which um, provided an expedited waiver for students. And some students accessed that over the last couple of years. 
We've analyzed the results of those. Those um, many students were moving into a community college setting um, for their next step after after high school. But some students were looking at other ways of demonstrating that career and college readiness. So in the last year, we've taken that kind of foundational piece of the expedited waiver, and instead of making this a waiver or alternatives, we said, why don't we just make these pathways that are equitably um, accessed by all students. Instead of them looking at looking them at as, as alternatives to something else, looking at them as truly pathways um, for all students. So that's a little bit of the history without going too much into the weeds of that. Um, as principals know, we kept the waiver for the next couple of years. So the class of 2019 and the class of 2020 will still have access to that expedited waiver. But um, the preparation we want to work alongside principals around this year has to do with analyzing the new pathways, not referring them to them as alternatives, but really digging in and saying, how can we make these pathways accessible for all students? Mm -hmm. The other piece with this is not all students will do a single pathway. Many of them will choose multiple pathways. So a student that actually meets standard maybe on the Smarter Balance, but also is going through a CTE course sequence may also end up taking the ASVAB or the ACT or the SAT. So not to look at these as discrete pathways, but we know students might have access to and may take advantage of multiple pathways, which is why that's kind of the phrase we've been using is looking at this more as a multiple multi-pronged approach rather than kind of fitting everybody into a single uh, funnel out into um, maybe what has been perceived in the past as a four-year path. Right. Well, and, and, and listening to you speak about the, the impetus behind and the, the reflective nature of, of taking a look at our system from the past mm -hmm. and, and listening to the voices from the field yep. um, in regards to them saying, you know, I've got student X, Y, and Z that are really, really interested in this, yep. yet there's only one way for them to get through. So the recognition of the, the multiple pathway pieces as a vehicle yep. to meet standard, right. the students still have to meet standard, right. but as a way to meet standard, I think is uh, is one one that's very, very, very well done. Yep. Um, I think I've heard Superintendent Reichdahl say um, a couple of times or through conversations where you know, our, our system isn't necessarily responsible for something that happens to the student 10 years from now, right. even though we might feel like it's, it's that way. Yep. But we should be responsible for what happens the year after they leave, yep. the year after they graduate. Yes. And when you talk about the high school and beyond plan and other things um, and the pathways, uh, um, I think it, it, it adds that in yep. um, and, and begins to make that a reality yep. for all students. Yeah, and I think the, you know, I, I, this piece of legislation was, uh, I think, especially well thought out in a couple of ways. One, it was a bipartisan effort, which you had both Republicans and Democrats throughout um, the process of getting this to the final stages of the governor's signature with a thoroughly, pretty much a, a um, wholehearted 100% bipartisan effort, which um, in the legislature doesn't happen very often. So I think that was an exciting first step. The other piece that I think to recognize and, and for principals and for district administrators out there, that it contemplated that this isn't the only stopping point because it identified a need to look further at our additional pathways. So this isn't a closed book, we're done, we're gonna finish this, You know, we're gonna get this done and it's all gonna look exactly the same this next couple of years, but that the legislature actually contemplated an analysis of future pathways that may that may come from the field. Um, so I think one of the things I want to make sure that we get across today is that we will be constantly listening to, and this is really our first step in this, is this, uh, this um, conversation today, which is listening to the field, what's working, what's not working, how can we make sure that the state is allowing locals to make decisions that's in the best interest of their students, um, and that contemplating future pathways is part of that plan. Right. right. Well, and those are those are very critical points and, and key points there when you talk about the, you know, and the, the work that maybe OSPI has in front of them in yep. terms of, of the implementation of these pieces. Right. What other constituent groups are also a part of some of this decision-making process 
that uh, um, you, we, we talk about pathways and other yep. things of that. But are there other groups that are involved in, in determining the rules, yep. so to speak? Yep. So one of our critical partners is the State Board of Education. Mm -hmm. So they have rulemaking authority and have a actually had rulemaking authority about many components of the graduation requirements. Um, over the past uh, several years. So that relationship will continue. We've already had several meetings with them. They're going to start the rulemaking process. So that relationship is critical. Um, just as, if you think about it, it's kind of similar to the relationship between uh, the school district administrators and their school boards mm -hmm. So um, at a state level. So that relationship of what are the general policies and rulemaking around this, um, giving enough guidance and breadth and then leaving some of the pieces of the implementation on the part of the superintendents, if you right. think about it that way. That's somewhat the relationship between the state board and OSPI in this. And so um, we have an ongoing and good relationship, open dialogue with the State Board of Education, similar to and hopefully modeling the kinds of relationships between school boards, local school boards, and their administrators who are trying to implement this. So um, if you think about that at the local level, um, at the state level, it would be WASDA, the School Directors Association. Right. Um, we will be working closely with them as board policy needs to change related to some of the grad mm -hmm. pathways. Um, but just that same relationship at the local level will really include parent groups that need to be have a voice in this and understand the changes for their students. Um, so local parent groups, the school administrators, principals are going to be a key piece of this as they're thinking about this, doing an inventory of current pathways in their own schools and districts, um, working with their district administrators on this, and then working with their local school board. So I think the partnerships that are involved um, at the state level, we always look to AWSP, the Principals Association, WASA, the School Administrators Association, um, as well as WEA as we're thinking about implementing these things. Um, but there are, in this particular bill, there are an array of different stakeholders um, that we will constantly being, need feedback from as we're going through this, this kind of um, evolution of implementation. It's going to be kind of a constant back and forth on yeah. that. So. Well, and, and I appreciate that because the different constituents, different stakeholders that are a part of all of this yep. obviously leads to some of the complexity of, of the implementation. For sure, for sure. And um, that was evident by our, our uh, WASP board, our, our secondary school principal board um, of AWSP when, when 1599 was first passed and we had our, had our spring meeting. Yep. And the hundreds of questions that, that came about um, just from that. And so obviously we'll continue to engage. And that's what led us here today. Yep. Yep. So we're so thankful again for the opportunity to, to, to sit down with you and, and to kind of walk through some, some basic tenets. Okay. Um, and a number of the, the pieces we're going to touch on today came directly from principals um, across the state. Yep. And so uh, uh, let's... Um, Dive right Dive in. Dive right in. Okay. That's great. <laughs> well, you've mentioned this multiple times um, in relationship to pathways. And previously, um, uh, there were two or three different ways with, with alternative assessments that yep. students could, could demonstrate standard, the COE, yep. among other things like that. What are the two, if I remember correctly, there's two new additional pathways that students mm -hmm. might have access, or that students would have access to yep. in relationship to meeting standard? So... Going back to some of the current alternatives, even some of those were tweaked and changed mm -hmm. as well. And so we'll get in and actually um, very soon, today or tomorrow, we'll be launching our uh, frequently, frequently Asked Questions, our FAQ, on our website along with um, a PowerPoint that explains a little bit about the background of, of some of the pathways. So even though some have been in place, there are some changes and we want to make sure everybody understands those changes. Um, we really approached, as I think about it, and I think in presenting to um, the board in the past, um, we have th a three-legged stool to our graduation requirements. The high school and beyond plan, the credits, mm -hmm. and then these pathways, these current pathways. In the past, folks have looked at these as kind of this binary choice. I either pass my smarter balance or I go through these alternative right. pathways, right? So that's how we've, they've looked at those in the past. Um, it's going to take some time to get folks to move past that idea of 
smarter balance or these to look at all of these pathways equally. And so that's the first kind of big step that everybody is going to have to take is that it's not a single one, as I mentioned before, but it's looking at the whole array of different pathways and looking at which what what fits that student need the best. So that so that linear path that we may have right. recognized in the past is is still a, a way. Absolutely. However, it's not the holistic right. approach in regards to to a well-rounded absolutely um, educational experience. Absolutely. So. So um, the couple of the big ones that uh, folks have been uh, looking at, I mentioned already the ASVAB is one. Mm -hmm. So the military entrance uh, um, ass assessment is one new pathway that is articulated. Um, and so the state board has um, a responsibility for setting those scores, setting those cut scores. And so there's more going to be more information from the state board on that, as well as some information on our FAQ just to kind of start the ball rolling on that. Okay. Well, and that, and that was actually one of the one of the big questions a lot of right. high school principals had is, is what would the cut score look like? Yep. And there's different passing scores. Correct. For each branch. Right. Correct. So you know the questions and questions around which branch is going to be used, which branch isn't going to be used, right. does it be this, does that, how does it do that, and, yep. and so you indicated that the state board, yep. that's one of the things they're responsible yep. for determining. Setting, determining, okay. right. Okay. And a lot, of, we've already had a lot of work as well as the state board has already reached out and done several uh, um, conference calls and others to just get the kind of foundational understanding of what this looks like. Um, we have the benefit at OSPI, one of the things that the expedited waiver offered us is a window into some of this information ahead of time. And ASVAB was one. In fact, um, one of the first students that, in fact, I think the first student that accessed the expedited waiver two years ago was going into the military, had been accepted into right. the military, and we were able to grant their expedited waiver, I think, two days before he entered into oh. basic training. So um, Those are the stories we like to those hear. Those are the right? stories yeah. we those like to hear, ones. right. Hey, the so system worked. The system worked. <laughs> and so um, we were able to yeah. get that. He was able to get his diploma, and he was able to enter basic training all within about a two- or three-day period. Yeah. And so... Um, so we had a bit of a window into what that looks like because at the local level, you're not going to necessarily be able to uh, determine um, really early on which branch of the military. Right. And so this is going to be a consideration that the state board takes up in looking at, okay, we do have different branches having different cut scores. How do we then set something, set some policy at the state level that's able to um, attend to all of those different mm -hmm. um, uh factors. So so that's something that I know um, we have some experience with with just getting a window into this with the expedited waiver, but passing that baton on to the state board right. so they can do that determination and kind of understand what that looks like at the at the local level. Um, the next one is around CTE pathways, which has probably gotten the most attention. Yeah. We're we're um, excited about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I learn every day about CTE a little bit more, and um, I am excited and, to learn and more about And principals are going to learn a little bit more yes, about it too, aren't yes they? they are. <laughs> yes, they are. So, um, so I think we're excited about this one in particular, one, because of the emphasis our office has put on CTE over the last couple of years. Um, increasing the number of dual credit opportunities within CTE, really thinking about CTE as not a separate standalone system, um, but something that is integrated with the kind of learning, especially as we look at our CTE equivalency work um, and some other pieces, really looking at, looking at this as um, a, a tapestry of how principals are putting together their master right. schedules. And it is incredibly hard work. So I, it is, and this offers a new complexity to that process as well. Right. Um, I think because we're in this place right now of graduation and everybody's focused on mm -hmm. different things, this is a really good opportunity for principals to meet with their CTE directors. Um, they may be the CTE director in their school, depending on the size <laughs> in their district, depending on the size of their district. Meeting of one. Meeting of one. Yeah. Um, uh, but to really sit down, meet with administrators at the district level, CTE and others, and probably other high school and middle school principals. Um, I would include middle school as they're looking ahead to the next step and how that high school and beyond plan um, looks uh, looking forward. 
um, because I do think middle school principals need to be aware of the things that are coming for their students. Um, but to really sit down and look and create an inventory of their current dual uh, current uh, CTE courses, as they're doing that, um, looking at whether or not they are dual credit or have industry recognized credentials attached to them would be a first step in just analyzing what's my current status of CTE right. um, sequences look like. So, so um, if we could yep. pause there for sure. that was that was a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, and great. Yep. By by the way, uh, so if, if I'm sitting back as a as a high school principal mm -hmm. and um, or counselor staff, what whatever the case may right. be, as as I as as I understand things right now, the mm -hmm. CTE coursework could be a combination of, of two courses or three courses, whatever the case mm -hmm. may be, or single, single courses Dual credit. Mm -hmm. in order to meet either ELA or math yep. in, in regards to standard for that pathway. Right. Is that right. is that? Yeah, and um, CT is a little bit different because it doesn't have necessarily the same ELA and math, and we'll be able to articulate this on the FAQ mm -hmm. a little bit more. But right now what I'd like to do, what I'd like principals to do is just take their CTE sequences work with someone, and it could be their counselor, their registrar, their CTE director, because they all, for the purposes of CTE, enter into our EDS system and get approved for a CTE course. So that already is being done. Right. Um, and, and, and that's through the framework process, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So they're going in and they're already creating a, uh, a template inside of the ED, our EDS system at OSPI to get these programs approved. Now, how that manifests in a school might be different. So I'll use the example of yearbook, for example, which oftentimes is taught by a CTE uh, teacher. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. But that, in some places, is a standalone course, right? Um, as you're thinking about the sequence, in some places they have embedded yearbook inside of a program uh -huh. sequence. Um, so. I think shifting folks from thinking about um, I do or I don't have these pathways to what do I really have, what am I using as standalone, and what am I using as a sequence, right. or how can I shift into a sequence into so that, a se that yeah. makes that so that makes some sense and is an articulated program sequence. So um, I think that before everybody leaps to I do or I don't have this pathway available to students, doing that inventory on the front end and just analyzing with their CTE directors what's currently either a program sequence that includes a dual credit course, because like you said, That's that could it, yeah. be a single uh, course, or is it connected to an industry-recognized credential? Um, and those two are kind of the first stopping points. And then analyzing, what are my standalone? Right. What, are, what am I looking at as my standalone? Um, and then as principals, after they do that first kind of step into this, with this which is just more of a district level um, conversation, and if they have questions, reaching out to our CTE office to help kind of figure this out right. as they go along will be critical. And our CTE office stands ready to take some of these questions, understand what they, you know, understand the problems, maybe point them in the direction of how can they create these sequences rather than trying to do it all on their right. own. So. And, and, and you may not know the answer to this, so. I probably so don't. If you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. if you don't, that's okay. okay. Um, uh, but you mentioned the, the CTE uh, department at OSPI. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there um, work that, that they'll be doing to push stuff out to schools that Absolutely. might be recommendations or templates yep. for course sequencing? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely in the works. Part of this, again, is a, a, a conversation with the State Board of Education because, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, they have rulemaking authority. We've already started an initial conversation uh, um, with the executive director, Randy Spaulding, um, and uh, staff around what that rulemaking could look like, and I know they are really wanting to um, get this going so that schools have an idea of what this looks like coming on 1920, um, which will definitely be a transition year right. as we're looking at this. Um, we still have the expedited waiver for the class of 2020, so that keep have principals yeah. keep that in mind as they're kind of ramping this up. But the best thing to do is after graduations are over and after everybody takes a deep breath and maybe goes away for a little bit, to come back and do this kind of inventory of their current CTE sequences um, 
and then figure out how do I make changes, can I make changes right. for this coming year. Um, given master schedules are done, staffing is usually done by this point, it's going to be hard to kind of turn that ship, but this year should be spent kind of turning the ship of CTE within districts to try and get aligned to their core sequences. As we get information about this, we will be turning that over from right. our CTE office so that there's more guidance at the local level. Good. So in relationship to the CTE pathways, step number one, just as you, you've been talking about, is do that coursework inventory. Yep. Determine as best as possible the sequencing that takes place Correct. that leads to some kind of industry recognized standard or dual credit course, whatever it is, Correct. and or to an apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. And then along with that, if there's singleton classes mm -hmm. as a part of that, can they be put into some kind of a sequence? Correct. Or are they dual credit related? Correct. And if so, good, you know, yeah. good to go there. Yeah. So. And, it and I, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have singletons. Right. If that works for your district in some large high schools, that may be perfect, you know, perfectly uh, appropriate mm -hmm. for the school and where it's at. Um, it doesn't mean that every single CTE course has to be in a program sequence necessarily that, that aligns to this. Um, but the more that you can shift in that direction, the more pathways are available for students. Okay. Okay. So. Good. Well, and through the conversation of the CTE pathways, you touched on the dual credit pieces. Yep. Dual credit meaning the college and the high school, the articulated agreements through CTE, Correct. running start, different yep. pieces like yep. that. Um, how has the how has the dual credit piece fit into the pathway portions? So dual credit is um, a s separate part. It can be included into the CTE sequences, as we just mentioned, but it also is a, a separate standalone and has been for the last couple of years, actually. So, um, so that dual credit uh, in ELA or math uh, still stands. So that is an option for students um, that may or may not be connected to a CTE program. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, one of the questions I know we got from from the from uh, principals across the state in regards to running start was, um, in some cases, uh, a student will access a running start class that'll count for their high school senior English course, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and they pass it, and it might uh -huh. be intro to drama. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. um, but because it comes back and counts as a senior English course, uh -huh. then that would be, then that would be interpreted as meeting the the ELA standard. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. And that was one of those. Anyway, that was one of those that, that down in the weeds kind of question yeah. that came in, and because um, they're wondering how does this work with this and that, it's not a direct right. relationship to. And, That's right. Um, so, are there are there going to be um, some guiding yes. documents or ideas around that? Yeah, there'll be some guidance. Um, it's interesting in in some places, like in the AP and IB uh, uh, places, they actually well, AP particularly, they put in specific courses. And in other places, they left it um, pretty wide, you know, okay. wider open. So um, as we go through, and the FAQ touches on this, but may not get to the level of detail that counselors and principals are wanting right this moment. So as we continue to get those kinds of questions, the questions that came in uh, originally for this were extremely helpful for our team as we were kind of walking through our 14-page <laughs> FAQ um, to actually get a kind of a head start on, all right, what are some of the weedy kinds of questions that principals are trying to work through as they um, contemplate what their master schedule might look like for the 2021 school year right. um, in addition to kind of shifting over this 19, using this 1920 year as this transition um, place. Um, I mean, a lot of this will have to do with all of the moving parts. Um, as we talked about before we started, you know, you may have just a couple of kids over here that, that want to access this. Mm -hmm. That has a lot to do with factors outside of just a master schedule planning. That has to do with your staffing. Right. That has to do with hiring the teachers that you need in order to do this. So we look at 1920 as this kind of on-ramp year, thinking about all of those other connected pieces, hiring, staffing at the at the from the district right. level to the to the school level, um, and master scheduling. As you're thinking about putting all of those pieces in place, this is really a complex puzzle. Um, you may want to offer this class, but you can't hire a teacher in right. that particular area. So um, these can't be looked. These can't really. You can't really look at these as discrete pieces. Mm -hmm. They all have to kind of fit this big puzzle that principals deal with every year. Yeah. Well, and going back to the 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 
stool that you used, mm -hmm. you know, where you had the, the credits, meeting standard, and the pathway pieces. Yep. It's the same thing with the master schedule. Absolutely. You know, when one leg of the stool is a little bit weaker, yep. it, it's not going to be able to support what it is that you're trying to do. That's right. Um, um, good. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the dual credit one obviously is one that's, that's on everybody's minds and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's nice that it's being looked at and, and, and things are being taken care of that yep. way. I know one other piece that's kind of come out and, and you've mentioned it a couple of different times is the, is the high school and beyond plan. Yep. And, and the notion behind that being the, the guiding document of a, yep. of a student's educational career. Right. That's kind of that, that path. That doesn't mean it's got to be set in stone like that. Yeah. But um, um, what do or what do principals have to do now in relationship to that high school and beyond plan? Because pieces have been in place for for years, yeah. you know. And now yeah. with the requirement being back to the middle school level yep. over the, over the past couple of years, yep. it's starting sooner. Yes. It's transitioning up, yeah. and so the the again the idea behind it isn't isn't different, yes. and it's been utilized. Yep. Um, but if I'm a, sitting as, as a high school principal, you know, what, what should I begin to look at now in relationship to that? What yeah. additional pieces have to go in at this point moving forward to be ready for the transition to the electronic version? Yeah, so um, I look at this, um, I think I look at this as an opportunity for vertical teaming in a way. So we, we talk about vertical teaming with standards and, and teachers all the time, right? right? So from elementary to middle to high. Um, this is an opportunity for vertical teaming with admin and counselor teams at the middle school level and admin and counselor teams at the high school level. Um, I know him, how impactful it is um, personally as a teacher when I was able to vertically team as a ninth grade English language arts teacher backwards into my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade counterparts at the middle level. It gave me an aha. I, uh, I stopped saying, what are those middle school teachers doing? <laughs> Right? I, I, you just, you go, oh, okay. They teach them how to use a car. Yeah, I know. You know? Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I think that that vertical mm -hmm. alignment between the middle school and the high school is going to be critical. Um, we also know that developmentally, students are not necessarily picking their career paths when they're in sixth grade. Right. They're playing Fortnite or something else. Um, they're not usually thinking necessarily about a specific career. Right. Um, but we want to get them into the mindset of thinking about this. And the High School and Beyond Plan um, provides a, a tool that creates some equity across the system for all kids. Um, that idea, that concept of being able to use a plan with parents involved, with administrators, counselors, hopefully their, their, their teachers, um, they're entering into, as a middle school student, the first time they're probably in a situation where they have multiple class periods to go to. Mm -hmm. They have multiple things to look at. And I think it is critical that as you go back to the middle school level and think about the developmental needs of those kids in relation to where they're at with their course taking and making decisions, Having that foundational piece creates um, equity across the system in terms of students being able to access and have a voice in where they want to go and what they want to do. So in my, in my mind, it really levels the playing field for that. Um, the challenge on the other side of that, so there's an equity argument on the one hand. On the other hand, we know that the staffing for middle school counselors in particular, is um, not where it should be. So uh, we know that in the best of all worlds, we have counselors that have more of a hands-on approach to helping students even access the different aspects of their career pathways or their pathways for high school. Um, and that's going to be that's going to be something I know our office is going to be working on kind of separately in a staffing enrichments work group. So right. thinking about are we currently staffing these schools at the way they should be in order to get the best bang for our buck with the high school right. and beyond plan. So that's the first piece of this is that whole the equity argument on the in terms of every student having access to a really solid high school and beyond plan that is developed. They have voice in it. They have agency with that. Um, and that their parents are involved in that process as well. That takes a lot of coordination on the part of the administrators and the counselors, a lot of time, <laughs> um, a lot of maybe using 
classroom teachers differently in terms of that relationship between the high school and beyond plan. I think opening this up so that the high school and beyond plan is something that um, everyone in the school is aware of, mm -hmm. um, that it's not something that's just held by the counseling office or just held by the administrators, but it's something that everybody is aware of as they think about right. these students as individuals. Um, and then the next step of that, that phase, and I always think of, um, I've always thought about the seams in our system, and I mean seams like seams in a dress or seams in a in a uh, outfit. The seams of the system are essentially, you know, just going to be essential. So that eighth grade to ninth grade transition is going to be critical right. for those students. So as those students are passing on a high school and beyond plan into the high school, all of a sudden a lot of things start to kick in. Classes count. Mm -hmm. right all of a sudden and they are looking ahead towards graduation and they have graduation requirements and they have all of these responsibilities at the high school level and so the more those transitions can be articulated in that vertical teaming between the administrators and counselor teams to the high school teams is going to be really really critical um, so uh, the changes really um, with the high school and beyond plan, the actual changes in it were fairly mi minimal. Um, we added a requirement around financial aid um, information at the high school level for the high school and beyond plan. Um, but what we were trying to emphasize, and I know that the, the um, emphasis from 1599 was really on how useful are these plans for students. Right. And I think some of the attention was started to ramp up in from 2224, which was the expedited, provided the expedited mm -hmm. appeal. Um, I talked to counselors all over the state that were like, whoa, I got to get my high school and beyond plans up to speed. Right. So there was a little bit of a emphasis on it just a couple of years ago. And now with 1599, we now have the opportunity to really think about how do we do these differently? How do we use the electronic system differently? Mm -hmm. Um, whether they're using it within Skyward or another system, um, so that there is better communication with parents, better communication with students, empowering students to be part of that process, um, and then better articulation to what are my opportunities, having students reflect on that, think about what are my next steps are, and then gearing them up to the pathways that are available once they hit 11th and 12th grade. Well, and and listening to you, and I'm I'm reflecting and stepping back into into being the principal. Yep. yep. And and thinking about that, and and I, I really loved what you were saying about the trying to draw that vertical teaming mm -hmm. and working with counseling and, and administrators at the middle schools and or junior highs, whatever yep. your configuration might be like, with the high schools. And then the other thing that that kind of popped into my mind was in relationship to how does how does the high school and beyond plan become a living breathing document yep. that kind of guides it doesn't right. mean it's not flexible that's right and and uh, you know the, again the the one thing that popped in my head was well what a great vehicle for yep. student conferences that's right and and pulling that document out and it's the one that's used to guide the conversation right. that happens yep. Because you have your parents or guardians there, you have the teachers there, the student explains what's gone on with, right. with their coursework and, yeah. and, and, and where they want to be, right. so to speak. Right. Um, and yeah. touch on the, the, the FAFSA part again. So for the, if, I, if I understood you correctly, um, as a requirement for this year's High School and Beyond plan, yep. it needs to show that a student has successfully filled out the, their, their FAFSA form? That they have uh, information around financial aid. So it's not specific necessarily to FAFSA, although we know that okay. is the one okay. that, or the WAFSA. Right. Um, we know that's the tool. We also recognize that a lot of students are getting exposure to the FAFSA and WAFSA through college bound in middle school and so in which is great but we want to expand that so that all students have some uh, exposure to it right. before they hit their senior year yeah so um, so part of the part of planning is that you don't hit that financial aid point when you're a you know in the fall of your senior year but you have some information as an on-ramp anyone that's filled out the FAFSA out there knows that it, <laughs> it takes a little bit of time that's and understanding yeah. um, so they're getting better what's at that, it what's that EIC uh, yeah, that's too yeah. much they have a new app um, but yeah. uh, 
But anyone that has experienced that as a parent, which I have a couple of times, um, knows that there is definitely some education on the part of the parents with this in addition to the students. So the earlier that you can get financial aid information before they hit their senior year and have to start making decisions in a very compressed amount of time, getting information ahead of time on that uh, information, collecting that kinds of information, and looking at financial aid, I think, as more of a kind of holistic, not just the FAFSA and WAFSA, which is an important and critical piece uh, to, um, to post-secondary education, but also looking at opportunity for scholarships and other things outside of maybe the realm of just singular um, financial aid from the state or yeah. from the feds. So um, that includes uh, definitely counselors that are involved in being able to make sure that every student has access and knows the kinds of scholarships, awards, financial aid that is available to them, a whole array of different pieces. Um, and I, I really think one of the impetus pieces of impetus is that you don't sign up, for example, for college bound in middle school and then forget about it for three years, and then all of a sudden be hit with this, I have to do something about this, but that there's a conversation that's going yeah. on along there. Well, I know there's, there's, there's many programs in school, whether it's Abbott or College Bound or whatever, that, yep. that kind of filter, and the advisory programs in many places, you that's know, automatically right. bring those in. And, and sooner is better than later. Yeah in terms of financial for college and FAFSA or right. WAFSA and, and whatnot, there's no actual requirement that it has to be done by a certain grade level, right. is there? Right, right. No. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So sooner than later, Yes. obviously, because planning is extremely important, yeah. but there's no requirement to have it done by sophomore or junior. So well, what, yeah, what, and we'll have some guidance on that through our electronic high school and beyond plan right. information. We have lots of good templates already available for schools um, that are out there. So. I think this, this is one of the um, places where instead of putting something in rule or in RCW, it is better done in guidance where we can say these are the best practices and this is where the field comes in and is instrumental in this is where are the best places to have those points of contact along the way. And so the more we can build up, and we already have great uh, examples of this in our work with WASAC, which is another partner, um, the Washington Student Achievement Council, who does a lot of the financial aid work in our state, um, the partnership with them, getting information out to them, so that it's not a select group of students that are identified for college bound, but that every student has access to that same information. So building that into our guidance at the state level um, so that our website is updated, WASAC's website is updated, and our direct touch on the counselors, administrators in the state, um, it goes beyond just a single uh, RCW that says, right. again, you know, everybody must do this. Well, how do you implement yeah. that, right? Yeah. When you mentioned WASAC, and I know one of the, one of the biggest things that, uh, that I learned through WASAC um, when I was in high school was the fact that as a, as a school, you can log on to their site and yep. find out your FAFSA completion right. rate for your school. And and I'm just, I'll just throw this out there. That'd be awesome to include in what you put there because yep. as I travel around, some principals know about that and yep. some don't. don't. Right. But I think that would be a, a critical piece for them to be able to know that they have access to yep. to determine the uh, the financial aid completion rate for, great, their, for their seniors or their, whenever they you know perform suggestion. that stuff. Yep. But, um, you know, we've talked a lot about you know, obviously the high school and beyond plan and and dual credit pieces and college and all those other other portions, CT pathways there. And another uh, component to this that kind of fits in, especially as you think about pro promoting and trying to provide a rigorous set of coursework. So, so the diploma is meaningful. Yep. I mean, that's really the bottom line yep. is is that the diploma is meaningful for each student, mm -hmm. and that might look different, obviously. But we want to ensure that, that that there's some meaning behind the coursework they've done and, right. and some thought that goes into that. And one of those pieces is is beginning to challenge themselves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. seeking out coursework that's going to do that. Right. Um, and I know a component to 1599 was the was the academic acceleration piece. Yep. And if students do well in course X, then they automatically get enrolled in the next mm -hmm. the next most challenging course right you know and that's that that's the idea behind that yep. um, in regards to what districts and or principals should be thinking about in relationship to academic acceleration what would you give is like the one or two things that they should begin doing right now 
to prepare for that aspect? Yeah. So the first step would be to see if they already have board policy around academic acceleration. There are already school districts that have some sort of board policy and actually academic acceleration processes in place. So their first step is to see if they even have board policy or, and or um, uh, guidance from their district office around this, um, because some do. Um, some don't. So the first step, of course, with this will be working with WASDA up to update some board policy around academic acceleration, and that will be happening over the summer and into the fall as well. Um, the second thing is that, again, there's an on-ramp to this. So this isn't something that's going to be mandated for next year, but something that school districts will have to work towards as they think about this in the 2021 school year. Um, and uh, so the first step is just to analyze where they're at in their right. district. Um, second step is, and you know, sometimes um, state law or state policy uses kind of a, a blunt instrument, like everybody's going to do ex academic acceleration, which is a, a very lofty aspirational idea that we want for all kids to have equitable access to the most rigorous classes. That some kids are not pushed off into other courses um, based on you know, an IEP or some other things uh, that are going on that they really understand what are the next steps in my, and, and how can I challenge, how can I make sure that as a classroom teacher or a principal or a counselor that I'm challenging every student to reach their full potential. So, um, so as they are analyzing this, one component will of course be board policy and the positions that the district takes in terms of uh, what sorts of forms parents are getting as okay. they think about this. And that's local. That's going to be local, local. right. Okay. Um, the second piece then will be the implementation of this. And that is, is probably going to be more challenging. Um, I think the more we can look at students as uh, holistically in terms of their whole course taking, um, giving them options and, and encouraging them into ac academic acceleration is going to be obviously a requirement of the law. Um, but then really it goes back to and loops back to that high school and beyond plan right. and making sure everything is connected so that it makes sense for the student in what they're going to be doing over the, all of their courses, coursework and all of their pathways. So again, this ensures that students have an equitable access to all of those rigorous pathways. Um, I used to, uh, when I was when I was teaching, go back to a teaching metaphor here, but I had all my ninth grade, ninth grade English, I taught ELA, and I would tell every single one of my students, uh, I don't care what AP or rigorous class you take, you're going to take something, right. right? It doesn't matter. I would love for you to take ELA because I personally, <laughs> I, I love English language arts, but you don't need to take AP Lit with me, right. but I, you need to have graduated with some aspect of your plan that includes rigor because we know that um, the rigor of your, the, the difficulty and rigor of your high school career kind of dictates whether or not you're going to be able to persist right. after high school. That's really important that they're challenged. So, um, so I the, take and, that and metaphor behind, for, for this. And that's a great metaphor because it, it, it does. We know that research-wise mm -hmm. yep. that if, if you, at least one or two right. classes that are right. going to challenge you. That's right. And, and it could be a variety. It doesn't have to be AP. No. Nope. I mean, it doesn't have to be IB or yep. whatever. I mean, it could be a variety of different things. That's right. But um, that whole persistence piece and it, and the, and the, I guess the the underlying factor with the whole academic acceleration portion is not that every student is is supposed to go to a four year school. Right. Right. You know, we That's know. Right. I'm, my assumption is that the, the the forethought into this was was thinking about any kind of post secondary pursuit. That's right. We know the the academic rigors of just an apprenticeship program or That's a right. pre apprenticeship program. That's right. And the preparation that's necessary for that in right. terms of your educational background. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think all of those things, I mean, taking the full kind of palette of what students have opportunities to do into consideration um, and making sure that you're giving parents and, and uh, students the opportunity to accelerate, particularly because that persistence piece in those classes will pay off whether, whatever their next post-secondary right. option is. Um, that persistence piece in 
being challenged um, and the high school uh, arena in terms of whatever course taking they, they decide on is going to be critical for that persistence later on in life. Yeah. And so especially as that next step. Um, we know many of our community college uh, students drop off pretty early. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that that they all too, every student has the opportunity to persist. And a lot of that comes down to um, the perseverance and, and um, rigor from what they experience in their high school yeah. courses. Yeah, good. When I think a couple of, couple of changes or just systematic type things that's gonna have for counselors and principals and schools and systems in mm -hmm. general is that, you know, the, 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 you're automatically defaulted into and then the conversations around right. changing your plan right. to not take the next most rigorous course. Right. Right. So that'll be that'll be one of the changes, and that'll be that'll be dictated, determined by obviously board policy and other stuff. But but it's the it's the opting out of those courses that'll be the probably the biggest systematic piece. I I would assume correct. Yeah, I I you know again going back to that idea of a blunt instrument, you can do this um, and have it be a very compliance-based thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody is just automatically, you know, registered. Right. Um, and you don't give a whole lot of thought to the sense making behind it. And principals really are the sense maker, the policy maker, sense makers at their, um, at their school level. And so thinking about how to position this work so that it isn't We've checked the box. Everybody has moved into the next most rigorous course, right? That is the compliance-based way to approach this. That, and that is a challenge because there's a lot coming down on principles right. and sometimes checklists are easy to do because you've just, you know, I've done what OSPI or what the legislature. Exactly. There's and 1800 there's, and there's not a lot of me to go around. 1800 <laughs> things that I have to check and off with I, my I've compliance. Got, I've got two counselors. <laughs> exactly. So, but how to be and, and the nice uh, thing with this is to take the 1920 school year and really think about how will I do this so that it actually has an impact on all my students. Um, particularly those students that may often get shuffled off or not be as involved in right. their high school and beyond plan. So being really targeted around that and being very specific around how you're going to tackle that instead of looking at it as, well, OSPI may, is going to just, we're just going to register everybody and then we've checked off the list that folks have opted out. We want to make sure that counselors and, and administrators have the opportunity to really think through the application of this at the local level prior to the 2021 school year because nothing is worse and we don't want at OSPI things to be simply checklists for kids. Right. That doesn't really get at the targeted um, impact of the potential of yeah. what this looks like and I know that is easier said than done because a lot there's a lot coming down on principles and it is incredibly complex work um, and sometimes you're dealing with things that um, on a daily basis that are like getting stuff through a fire hose um, all the time um, and so it's how to spend some time this next year in a team thinking about how are we going to implement this so that parents and students have agency around this and have some responsibility for it. That's going to be a hard shit. That's going to be, re that's really challenging to do. Um, but this shouldn't be all on the principal's shoulders or all on the counselor's shoulders. How do we empower parents to take more responsibility for this? How do we empower students to take more responsibility of their high school and beyond plan? Um, and that's going to be the challenge over the 1920 school year. Right. Well, and you said the 1920 school year is that time period to kind of sit back, reflect, and and see what systematic things are there, what that's barriers right. might be in place, and whether it's CT pathways or that's dual right. credit or ASVAT, whatever it is, yep. you know, or yep. academic acceleration stuff, high school beyond plan. Yep. I mean, and then make some of those necessary tweaks and adjustments. That's right. Um, and hopefully over that period of time, because I know some of the work that's been happening through OSPI and other areas is is the the recognition that the prototypical model yep. is not necessarily one that that supports yep. fully yeah. this kind of a system. That's right. That's um, right. You know, it's principals and other people say quite a bit. You know, if I had if I had a few more people, yeah, we could do all this mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, so right. I know the continued work on on that side will be critically important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as we uh, as we begin to kind of kind of transition and, and wrap a couple things up here. 
because I'm sure we could we could spend two or three more hours mm. <laughs> going over mm. a lot of this stuff. But neither you nor I, or probably the people out there, want uh, want to spend right. another n- n- another two or three. So, um, if you could dwindle things down mm-hmm. just a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe to the to the three most important must dos. Um, and that might be difficult, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Uh, if if you can, that'd be awesome. But the, you know, sitting as a school, sitting as a principal, as a district, you know, what are the th- the three things that that you'd say begin working on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have two right off the top of my head, and I'll have to think really quickly on the third one. Um, no, I have three. Uh, one is to really think about this as a vertical teaming process, um, that they are working with their middle school counterparts, with their high school teams, and with the district office. So that this is really something that there's communication flowing between the different, and I would actually include elementary Elementary, principals in that too. Um, You know, I think oftentimes we segment these in districts and have conversations with just high school principals about all of this. But if elementary and middle and high are all on the same page and thinking about this, there's a lot of things that can be seeded at the elementary level that can actually manifest in the middle and high. So I think those vertical conversations are going to be critical over the next year, for sure. There's no doubt that those conversations have to take place. A really deep understanding of each of the pathways, understanding of the high school and beyond plan, understanding the credits and the two credit waiver, all of those pieces will come into play. So really kind of setting out a vision for what this looks like in terms of a feedback loop mm-hmm. among those, those teams. Um, the second piece, because it's come up and it has such a, a bright light on it, um, would be the CTE pathways and doing that inventory. I would do that this summer. Right. Uh, take some inventory of what your current, sit down with your CTE director, really have a deep conversation of it, look at your master schedule, understand all of this. CTE is a very complex beast yeah. um, in education and to be able to understand it, as I've said, I learn something new about CTE every single day. <laughs> and so I think really sitting down and having a deep understanding of that and really watching for guidance that's coming out from OSPI and the State Board of Education is going to be critical. Um, And then the third piece um, is that high school and beyond plan and having that articulated understanding of what this means. What are the different components of it? How does it currently operate? And then getting information out to parents that can help kind of facilitate those conversations as early as possible. Thinking about your different classes that you have coming in, articulating what they need to do, and then setting up the best possible situation for those high, those high school and beyond plans to really take root in the students' lives is going to be critical. And then the fourth one is to breathe. I only said three. I know, but I but I, like that, one. One. I yeah, like that fourth one. Yeah, is to just breathe and and first of all take some time this summer to really get. I mean, I know everybody is in the race for the end of the year right now. Um, everybody is going through graduation ceremonies and, and trying to get this year kind of packed up and done. Um, take some time. We do an incredible job. We went over 80% of our gra- in our graduation rate this last year, wow. which is a huge accomplishment. Huge. The first time in Washington state history that we've gone over 80% in our graduation rate. Um, we are excited about the trajectory that we are on. We think we're going to continue that growth over time. Um, We think the pathways offer more opportunities for students to access what they're really good at, what they want to do, and what they want to do in their next step. Um, So I think just a huge congratulations to all the high school principals out there that are juggling 4,000 different things every single day. Um, But to take a deep breath, spend some time this this summer reflecting on how amazing (laughs) their teams are and the work that they do every year. Um, and then really look at OSPI, the state board, and other partners um, that we're working alongside them as we're moving right. forward into implementation. Great. Well, wonderful things. And I actually like that fourth one, breathe. Breathe. I'm glad yeah. you added a fourth, <laughs> breathe. And then I'm glad you talked about the celebration of the, of the 80%. That is, yeah. that is outstanding. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's just wonderful work because in my role every day when I'm out and about and driving around and visiting schools, there's, there's enormously great work happening. Ab- absolutely. Caring, loving people that's that are that are right. working really, really hard. Yep. 
And it's not necessarily just in the schools, but it's also just down the road here from AWSP at, at OSPI yep. and the State Board and other places that are doing the same thing. So That's right. thank you so much, Absolutely. Michaela, for, yeah. for coming in today yeah. and, and spending a little bit of time with us. I know we didn't get to cover everything, and there'll That's still right. be more questions and whatnot. Yep. But um, just giving us that 30,000-foot view and then down into some weeds on a couple of things, I think will be... be uh, be very beneficial for uh, for the, uh, the folks that watched watch today. So thank right. you so Thanks much. Thanks a lot. Yeah. You're welcome. Absolutely. All right. And then uh, thank you for joining us um, for this edition of AWSP TV. Uh, as we begin to venture forward, obviously we'll continue to stay in contact with OSPI and, and uh, the state, state Board of Education and other stakeholders to provide that relevant and timely information that you're looking for in your schools and your districts. We wish you the best of luck as you venture into this summertime. And remember that strong principles create strong schools and strong students. Keep up the great work for kids. Until the next television newscast, goodbye. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.